0: great to be together. Um, Hey, before we take a look at the text for today, I I just want to make a quick observation that I think sort sort of sets up what we're going to read, and I don't think it's a particularly novel observation. I'm sure you'll agree with it right away, Uh, which is simply this, that uh, there is so much in our world around us that is pushing us to feel Anxious and insecure. It's almost like we have to live with it all of the time, you know And there's so many reasons for that. I mean, you know, we could we could certainly, you know, look at something uh, Like social media, which is a good thing in so many ways and yet We can feel very insecure about ourselves, you know, when we're looking at other people's uh, You know supposedly perfect (laughs) and successful lives it can make us feel insecure, you know about about ourselves. We can, you know, just watching the news can make us feel very anxious in our spirit. You know, have you noticed that? We can feel anxious about the economy, about inflation, about war, about crime, about weather. I mean, there's just, it's just, it's just this barrage of that. Um, I've noticed having stepped through a couple life stages that each life stage we go through has its own joys but it also has its, its own set of things that we worry about and we're anxious about. You know, when we're, when we're young, we worry about uh, relationships and, and do people like me and my identity? Like, those are the things we tend to have a lot of anxiety about. Uh, as we get a little older, we, we tend to be more anxious about kids and jobs and mortgages and rent and all that kind of stuff. And then as we age a little bit more, we tend to worry a little bit about our health and our mortality and my purpose and my legacy and, and, and that sort of thing. There's always, each stage brings its own joys, but also its, its own anxieties in a way. And I've noticed as a pastor that uh, even our, f- our faith in the Lord can become a source of anxiety. You know, for instance, in the back of our mind, even if we don't vocalize it, you know, just this way, but we're sort of thinking, I need to do more so that God will love me and I'll be accepted by him and pleasing to him, you know, or I just, I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I measure up. Am I, am I really, am I really forgiven? Am I really going to make it all the way? Have I misunderstood something or not, not whatever? We can just, we can almost have this whole new set of spiritual anxieties about things. And the passage that that we are confronted with today, which is Romans 8, 31 through 39, and by the way, if you're a guest with us, we are so glad that you're here, and as a church, we're just sort of stepping through the book, the New Testament letter of, of Romans together. This passage speaks directly into the anxieties that we feel. And through what we're about to read and reflect on, God wants to give you a renewed sense of peace in your spirit, a renewed sense of assurance, a renewed sense of confidence in the Lord that will steady you, give you a steadiness through all of the fears, anxieties, and insecurities that uh, exist outside of us and, and also within us. And so I, I want to read uh, the passage. I want to say a brief prayer for us, and then just uh, to reflect on it a little bit so that we would get it into our DNA, <laughs> because that's where we need it. We need this passage to live inside of us, okay? So let's, <laughs> let's start just by reading it together. Roman, or I'll, I'll read it, and you can follow along. Romans chapter uh, 8, and we'll start in verse 31. Here's what it says. This is God's word to us. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse whom God has chosen for his own? No one for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who will then condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute, in danger or threatened with death? As the Scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed. In Christ Jesus our Lord pray with me Lord we thank you for this powerful word to us we ask that you would help us to understand it and receive it into our spirit in Jesus name we pray amen, amen. so there was a, uh, a painting that sat in the Louvre, which, you know, an art museum in Paris. And now I think now it's in a private collection. I think we have a picture of it here. It's, um, it's, it's these two guys uh, playing chess, okay? And the one guy, the one in the red, uh, he kind of looks perplexed. And um, the other guy, uh, you know, he looks kind of devious, kind of devilish almost. And he's like, you know, I got this guy. And the painting is titled Checkmate. So you assume that the the guy in red is in Checkmate. And I don't know a lot about chess, but you kind of look at the board and you're like, yeah, I think he's in trouble. Okay. Uh, But what's interesting is that a famous chess champion, uh, his name was was Paul Morphy, he saw this painting and he sat there and he looked at it for a little bit and he's like, uh, he's like, this painting's mistitled. That guy's not in Checkmate. Uh, his king has one more move that it can make. And so as the account goes, uh, he set up the board just like it is in the painting, and he uh, was able to play that guy's board to victory. He wasn't in checkmate. It looked like he was in checkmate, but he wasn't, and he was actually able to play his board all the way to victory. And so it's interesting, the artist obviously had a message uh, that he was conveying uh, into this thing. And as we think about it in terms of Romans 8, we're reminded that through all the circumstances that life throws at us, through all the fears and the insecurities that we struggle with, even ones that feel like checkmate to us, they, they are so severe, we can be assured that the, that the king, King Jesus, the king has one more move, and he, he, we can be assured in the passage we just read, will play our board to victory, all right? And so this passage in particular gives us three really clear assurances, and I want to step through them so that we would just sort of we would get this truth into our spirit and into our DNA before we leave this morning, okay? This is so important. Here's the first assurance that we have in this passage is that when I, when I feel opposed, okay? Do you ever feel attacked? You ever feel like the world is against you? When I feel opposed, be assured that God is for me. Look again at the text, verse 31. He begins by saying, what shall we say? about such wonderful things as these. We say, well, what are the wonderful wonderful things that he's talking about? It's everything that has come before in chapter 8, okay? So he's just finished telling us that if you have faith in Christ, you belong to him. You are no longer condemned for your sin. You have been freed from the power of the sin nature. You have God's spirit living inside of you. And that spirit has given you a new mindset, has given you a new direction, has given you a new heart. He assured us that you, if you are in Christ, you have been uh, chosen, you have been called by God, you have been justified by him, and you have been uh, glorified. And so he, he has all of this in mind, and he says, what should we say? What is the conclusion of the matter to, to the, uh, this wonderful promises that God has given to us, and here it is. He says, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? And what he means is, who could ever succeed in opposing you? Because we know there are many forces in this world that would oppose us. There are many things like that, but he says none of them can possibly succeed in their opposition. If If God is for you, no force can defeat you. God is for you. I mean, just just think about the weight of that sentence. there, There may be no greater phrase in the whole human language than this statement. If God has chosen to be for you, and he has, then what could possibly stand in your way. God has fixed it unalterably and that it cannot change. He has decided to be for you and to be in your corner. And we would say, well, what evidence is there of that, that he is for me? Well, the evidence is in verse 32. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else. So you get the logic in what he's saying, right? He's saying he's already given God the Father has already given the greatest thing he could ever give, which is his son. So will he not give you everything else that is needed to help you make it all the way to the finish line? He will give you all the power that's needed when we feel weak to make it all the way through. Remember uh, when you were a kid at Christmas and you'd open up a present and It would be just what you were hoping to get but you would turn it over and Sometimes there would be the dreaded phrase that was on the bottom which was Batteries not included (laughs) and There no stores are open on Christmas. And so you have this toy, but The power source is not included. The batteries are not included. And part of what the Apostle Paul is telling us here is that God has given you the gift of his son and the batteries are included to get us all the way to the finish line. The power source is there too. Nothing can oppose God's perfect plan for you. Because we will have opposition. People people can betray us. People people we love in our life can make very bad choices that affect us tremendously. Things at work can be very difficult. If you're a student, you may feel very outnumbered at school uh, with your faith in the Lord and wanting to live for Him. Satan may know just where to attack you, but and we look at what is against us, and sometimes we doubt if we will have the strength to persevere and to finish, but this assures me that God is for me unalterably and that nothing can ever derail his purpose for you. He will give you all that you need. That's the first assurance. Here's the second assurance that he gives us here. Number two, is that when I feel condemned, be assured that God has justified me. Be assured of that. Look again, if you would, at verse 33. He writes, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. That's what justified means. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is now sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. All right, let me tell you why this is really important for us to get into our spirit. (laughs) Uh, Since you have come to faith in Christ, even if it feels slow, you know that God is changing you, right? He's changing you. He's given you a new mindset. He's given you a new heart. Uh, You are, we could say, sinning less (laughs) because of the Holy Spirit's power within you. But you have also noticed, I'm sure, that you are not sinless, right? You're sinning less, but you're not sinless. I'm not either, right? So what happens is Satan, and by the way, the word Satan, the name Satan means accuser, okay, because that is his, that is his main activity against believers is bringing accusation against you, okay? Satan takes this gap, this remaining sin in our life that we all have, that we all experience, and he throws that back at you in an accusing way uh, and he wants to take the joy of your salvation, the peace of your salvation from you. He wants to rob you of the consolation of your faith and he wants to replace it with fears and anxieties about it. But here is the answer to this anxiety is that Jesus says, I have already justified him or her, I have died for you and that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God presently pleading for you, interceding for you. When it says that he is sitting at God's right hand, what that is indicating is that his, his work is finished. There is nothing left to be done. The price that he paid for you has been fully paid. Nothing else needs done. He is sitting at the right hand of God. The right hand, as, as, the, as the NLT rightly says here, is the place of honor. It is the place of highest authority at the right hand of God the Father. And what this reassures us of is that Jesus is the highest court because when Satan comes to accuse you before the heavenly Father, it says that Jesus is pleading your case before the Father. He's saying, I have already paid the sins for him. I have already paid the sins for her. all, All of your sins, past, present, and future, have been covered by the blood of Jesus. And so he is standing in your place, interceding for you presently, and there is no higher court that Satan can go to. Jesus is the supreme Court. It is the place of highest authority in the universe. There is no other court for him to go to. And the judge, Christ Jesus, is the one who paid the price for you and justified you. And so there is no accusation that can stick. There is no condemnation that can stick. And when we think about this amazing idea that all of our sin, past, present, and future has been covered by Christ. We say, well, you know, we might have an objection to that. You know, we might say, that if all of it is covered, what's stopping anybody from just going and live a crazy life, <laughs> right? Like, like, hey, if he's got it all covered, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go just do what I want. But Paul's already addressed this objection in chapter six, right? When he says, if, if God's grace is this wonderful, you know, What's going to stop us from doing that? He he says, "God, God forbid, because the Lord, your sin nature is dead. And in its place, God has put his Holy Spirit in you. And you have a new mindset. You have a new heart. You have a new direction. You have a new identity. And so Paul says, God forbid that we would ever think this way. Now understand that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction to our lives of sin and will, on occasion, when we don't respond to that conviction, will, on occasion, bring discipline uh, to to our lives. But it's always for our good and it is always from the heart of a loving father. Satan's accusations feel very different than that and that is how you can discern the difference between them because satan's accusations are you're a loser you are a failure god doesn't love you he could never forgive you and you can be assured that is never the the convicting voice of the holy spirit that is the accusations of satan the enemy okay the enemy of your soul And some of you here today, you are living under the burden of accusations like that. And the Lord wants you to know that he has covered you and that there is no accusation that can stand if you are in him by faith. Be assured of that. One final assurance that is in this passage is this, number three, the third assurance is that when I feel abandoned, be assured that God loves me. Because when troubles come our way, what we think is God no longer loves me. God has abandoned me in some way. Okay? And it is, a, it is into this fear, it is into this anxiety that these last few verses speak. If you would hear them again, verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute, in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, For your sake, we are killed every day and we are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus, through Christ who loved us. See, it is not uncommon in the Christian experience that when difficult circumstances confront us, we very naturally ask the question, God, where are you in the midst of this? Have you abandoned me? If God loves me, then why are these things happening to me? These are natural questions that we ask and that we feel. And Paul is reassuring us that that is not the case In the midst of things. So he begins, he says, for instance, will trouble and calamity separate us from Christ's love? These are very general, general words of troubles that happen to us in this, in this life. So it, it can take many forms. It could be the loss of uh, a loved one saying, God, where, where are you? I, I, I prayed for their healing. Where, where are you? It could be the loss of a marriage, it could be a wayward child, it could be um, an illness or a health crisis of some sort. And he says, "Do do troubles and calamities like these mean that God has abandoned us?" And he says, "No." Then he talks about persecution. This is the opposition that Christians receive in the world, right? Because G- Jesus said. He says, they hated me and so if, you're, if you follow me, they're gonna hate you too, <laughs> right? So the Roman church that Paul's writing to, they got this one right away because they were under a lot of pressure and a lot of persecution. But even in our culture, we can feel that way, right? We can feel marginalized, mocked, <laughs> uh, opposed in various ways, uh, even, even threatened in some ways due to faith. He talks about being hungry and destitute. He says, is that evidence that God doesn't love us when there are scarce resources to be had? He says, no, that it does not mean that God does not love you. And then he quotes almost mysteriously to us when we read it, he quotes a verse from Psalm 44. Uh, and Psalm 44, the whole context of Psalm 44 is that it is the lament of a righteous sufferer. So someone who says, God, I have tried my best to follow you as I know how, and all of these bad things are happening to me, and I look at the wicked, and they say, life seems to be going great for them, and I'm confused. What's happening? What is happening in my life? And Paul quotes from this Psalm to say that this is not uncommon in the Christian experience that we we have these things. And in light of that, he is giving us these tremendous assurances, saying you're in good company and take heart because overwhelming victory is yours in the end. Be patient in the midst of those trials. And then he takes the last few verses, and he just, it's almost like he's just piling on, okay? He says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, not even death, the last enemy means we are separated. He says, neither angels nor demons, neither are fears for today. You have some. Fears for today or our worries for tomorrow. Isn't that such a uniquely human thing that we we think about things that may happen and we obsess over them and we worry about them? But he says nothing that can happen ever in the future, no matter how much we blow it up, our nothing could ever be enough to separate you from God's love. not even the powers of hell can separate us from his love there is no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing you feel like he's made his point <laughs> no, nothing in all of creation will ever ever like there's no doubt to this ever be able to separate us from the love of god revealed in christ Our Lord. So, some of us here today, you are facing difficulties and troubles of various kinds. And God wants you to know that He sees you, that He hears you, that He has not left you. In fact, quite the opposite. He is actively working for your good. Even when I can't see it, we can be assured of it. You can trust him that he loves you. And can I say one other way that this understanding of God's love can help calm some anxieties in our hearts? And one that I know of because I have felt it in my own spirit, and I still do from time to time, is the anxiety that lives in our hearts from what we might call performanceism. Okay, I'll tell you what I mean by that. But sometimes in Christian culture at large, we are pressured to think, I have to do more. I, ha- I have to do more and do better uh, for God to love me, right? I got to do more good works, more of this, more of that, win more souls. And it almost creates this anxiety in my spirit that I'm never doing enough. And what I do, what I am doing, I just hope that, you know. I'm more pleasing somehow to God for that. And it's such a subtle temptation that can corrode our spirit. Because we know as believers, we, we, want to, we want to be about good things. We want to do good things. We want to serve others. We want to minister to others. We want other people to know the love of God in Christ. We, 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 we should be about such things. But there is this subtle thing that says, am I doing it? from God's love or am I doing it for God's love? You say, oh man, you're kind of parsing words there a little bit. But no, there is such a huge difference between the two that I need to, if I'm gonna minister in this world and serve others in this world, it has to be coming from this firm base of God's unalterable love for me. I'm already pleasing in his sight. He already loves me. He's already determined that he is for me. And we serve others out of an overflow of that, not to try to earn something or get notches in our belt or be better than other people in some way, whatever, you know? And if if nothing in this universe can separate me from God's love, then there is nothing I can do to earn more of his love either. He's already accepted you. He he already loves you. And we have to minister to others from that base. And when we do, when we do, and that is firmly rooted in our DNA and in our spirit, it feels different to us. And there's not this undercurrent of anxiety about it. And others uh, that we serve can feel the difference too. So maybe you're dealing like I have with this idea of performancism, and let this passage speak peace into your soul and the love of God for you, and just let it be settled in your mind and in your spirit. If you're in Christ, he wants to replace your insecurity with security. He wants to replace your anxiety with assurance. And because you belong to him, you can be assured he will play your board all the way to victory. Can I say one other thing before we pray? And it is simply this, that sometimes we feel spiritual anxiety. We have angst in our heart. And the reason for it is because we don't yet belong to the Lord. That's why. That's why I feel that anxiety in me. But you can belong to him. Today you can belong to him. You know, today is the day of salvation. All it takes is a step of faith. And I'm going to pray here in just a moment, and you can make those words your prayer. And you can belong to him right now (laughs) in faith. You know, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. You may feel weariness and burden in your soul. You are carrying so much. And your first step to feeling release is that you need to belong to the Lord by faith. And so I'm going to Pray for us, for our assurance as believers, but I want to pray for those of us who need to accept him into their heart for the first time as well. And then we're going to have the privilege to take communion together uh, afterwards. And so while we're praying, those preparing communion can come forward uh, for that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I, I, I... Thank you for this amazing church. I thank you for uh, each person that is sitting here today. We thank you for the power of your word. Each of us needs it to sit, to sit in a way patiently under your word and let it uh, in, inform us and convict us and to reassure us, which is your intent here in these verses, that we would feel your love for us. We would feel your assurance for us. That though Satan would wish to sow anxiety and fear in our heart, you have given us these words that we would feel your peace, security, and assurance in our life. That no matter what forces oppose us, you are unalterably for us. No matter what accusations Satan wants to bring, that you have already determined that we are justified and holy in your sight, and no accusation can stick. And so any accusation that is coming from the enemy of our soul, we rebuke in Jesus' name, and we tell you to flee and that the peace of God would fill our heart. And I pray for those among us who are facing difficulties, some of us very severe difficulties, and we have been in that season of, God, where are you? Do you not hear our prayer? Where are you? And that in the midst of that, you would hear, I hear you, I see you, I love you, and I am working things for your good. Trust me. And so, Lord, that's exactly what we do today. And Lord, I pray for those who are feeling anxiety and they have felt the call of God to say, you need to surrender and put your faith in Christ as your Savior. That's why there's angst in your heart. That's why. And he's calling you to do that. And Lord, we think of the promise that says, if you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And only the Holy Spirit can lead us to that conviction and so we confess that today we turn from our sin and turn to you we receive your holy spirit into our life and we are connected to you and we are participants in these promises even today heavenly father thank you for these great and wonderful things and it's in jesus name that we pray and all god's people said amen Amen. hey we we are going to take a communion here as you know communion is a Reminder of Christ's death until he comes again. And in communion, we sort of receive into ourselves his shed blood and broken body for us. And so this is a blessing for every believer uh, to kind of take the, his grace into you freshly again. If you're a guest with us and you know Jesus as your Savior, you are welcome to take communion with us as a church family. We just come down front. You can take the elements and you can kneel around the altar or you're welcome to take it back to your seat. And there's prepackaged elements in the back if you prefer that as well. But the altar is open. You come.